0: Gerard Huett is a senior researcher at INRIA, the French Institute for Research and Automation. Gerard helped develop the CAMEL programming language in the 80s and has a variety of other accomplishments in the world of computer science. Gerard, welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Thank you. Hello. So this is Functional Programming Week on Software Engineering Daily. I'd like to start by talking about CAMEL, which you helped Develop while you were leading the Formel project. What was the Formel project?
1: The Formel project was uh, concerned. Uh, so it's a, a it's a little bit of a joke. Uh, Formel in French is the adjective that means formal, so it evokes uh, formal methods, uh, but it's also uh, a joke on ML. So in a sense, the project was uh, devoted. Uh, to the ML programming language, Uh, but initially the the goal was to uh, develop uh, proof techniques and a proof assistant. So this was my long long range goal is to develop uh, theorem provers and proof assistants in order to develop uh, mechanical mathematics and uh, systems for automating proofs of programs.
0: So what is ML? So ML uh, stands
1: for meta-language because initially, it was the meta-language for developing proofs in the LCF proof assistant that was developed by Robin Milner and his team at University of Edinburgh uh, in the seventies. So LCF means logic for computable functions. So it was a special uh, proof system. You could uh, construct, uh, basically, natural deduction trees in a specific proof system that was due to debacle and Scott, so relying on notions of denotational semantics.
0: OK, so before we get too much further into ML, I'd like to set some context. Um, what was going on in the world of computer science in the early 1980s, around this time?
1: Uh, well, the world of uh, computer science is very big. So you had, uh, you had like numerical analysis using Fortran, you still had the use of uh, COBOL, and you had the, the start of uh, system uh, programming uh, language uh and Ada was, was on and so on, but people doing uh, uh, non-numerical applications, uh, such as uh, artificial intelligence or computational linguistics, typically uh, were using Lisp. Lisp was the kind of ubiquitous uh, programming language at the time. Uh, although some uh, people were uh, were aiming at Prolog which was uh, in its uh, beginning, in the beginning of the 80s.
0: Why was Lisp so popular?
1: Uh, Lisp was uh, popular uh, because it was uh, very easy to use uh, since uh, it had an uh, interactive implementation. So so the the training time was very small. You would just uh, sit at the interpreter and then type in, and then get your results immediately. So it was easy to learn. Then yeah, it had uh, dynamic data structures with a garbage collector, so you could uh, create uh, trees and, uh, and, and possibly huge data structures without worrying
0: about allocation. Mm. So it was a lot, lot of ease. Mm, okay, interesting. So, um, as you mentioned, uh, ML was the meta-language of the LCF proof assistant. So, what, what was the purpose of proof assistants? The,
1: the purpose of um, developing automation of mathematics uh, was besides uh, the assistance to mathematicians. It was mostly for doing uh, proofs of correctness of software. So, this, this was, and this is uh, still the main uh, stumbling block of software. It's correctness, correctness, safety, uh, uh, all kinds of uh, considerations for which you want to have uh, confidence in the output of your software. And uh, personally, I've always uh, thought that uh, software engineering was of uh, rather poor quality uh, compared to hardware engineering. Because in hardware engineering, any mistake will show very quickly. Whereas in uh, software engineering, people could get by with uh, with bugs uh, that, that, that were hidden. And uh, since we were uh, concerned more and more with the safety critical uh, systems we we needed to have proof assistance.
0: do you think there's an upper bound for uh the level of complexity you can you can uh create a proof around i mean because that's the, that's that's the thing i see with software is like sometimes your software project can just get so complex you can't have a proof of correctness around it you
1: have uh, several measures of complexity uh, one is size, but uh, this is not the main problem. The problem uh, of size is uh, encompassed by uh, modularity. So if you uh, know how to write modular software, and if you know to do modular proofs, then uh, and if you're... Uh, uh, the mathematical material associated with your programs is somehow linear in the size of the program, then uh, big uh, can be uh, encompassed uh, just by uh, modularity. There is another kind of, uh, of complexity, which is intrinsic complexity. Uh, for instance, if you take uh, volume one of KNUS, the art of uh, of uh, computer science, uh, the first program he gives actually is a program for generating primes uh, with the Eratosthenes C. and uh, and it's it's a very simple small program. But there is some optimization, and in uh, in the footnote uh, he he said uh, this optimization is valid. But actually, the the validity uh, of of this optimization relies on a very tough uh, theorem of number theory, uh, which is called the Bertrand Postulate. Uh, So so, so here you have an example of a very small program and a very small uh, optimization for which you need to develop a huge mathematical proof in order to prove its correctness.
0: Hmm. Okay. Fair enough. Well, so um, what were people saying about functional programming around this time? Did people, was that in the lexicon? Did people have the term functional programming?
1: Well, uh, first of all, functional programming uh, is kind of ambiguous. <sighs> uh, yeah. All that you, you uh, Lisp, in some sense. Uh, allowed functional programming. You had a construct that was called lambda, which was uh, how to make a, a procedure out of, uh, of an expression. And uh, so, so this looked a little bit like the lambda of lambda calculus. And it allowed you to define functions, but functions with dynamic binding. Uh, so uh, so this is not uh, really uh, the uh, correct implementation of the uh, kind of uh, minimalistic functional programming language that is lambda calculus. Uh, there are two ideas in, in functional programming. One is the ability to manipulate functions as opposed to just uh, first-order values like uh, integers, booleans, and lists, uh, and to have a function that can be uh, arguments of other functions. So, so this is uh, so it's a it's a way of having more power with your procedures because you can have a reflection, you can have a, a sophisticated uh, Argument uh, passing your functions to functionals and so on. But what is uh, mostly uh, advertised in a functional programming is actually applicative programming. Applicative programming means that uh, the uh, result of your computation does not really depend on some kind of state, like the state of some global memory. It's more like a mathematical evaluation of an arithmetic expression. So uh, we like applicative programming for uh, at least two reasons. One reason is that it's easier to reason about applicative programs because they are a static uh, static expressions, so the, uh, the usual mathematical techniques apply. You don't have to uh, to, to take care of a complex uh, state. That's one aspect. And the other aspect is that it's easier to parallelize. Uh, now, uh, if you uh, take seriously this idea of applicative programming uh, and if you uh, if you are uh, uh, some kind of extremist, then uh, you will uh, reject every kind of uh, imperative programming,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and uh, and this is not uh, very uh, convenient. It's a bit of an extremist attitude. So both Lisp and ML were a mixture, actually, of imperative features and applicative features.
0: Okay. Well, so let's get back to the story of uh, the evolution of the CAMEL language. Um, So there were some projects related to ML that served as the eventual inspiration for the CAMEL language. What were these inspirational projects, and how did they lead to the development of CAMEL?
1: Okay, let me tell you the anecdote of how uh, ML uh, came in uh, in the picture at our uh, As I said, I was interested in proving, and I had worked on uh, on proving. I worked on uh, equality reasoning and rewriting. I worked at, um, on proof by induction. And uh, in the beginning of the eighties, I thought that the time was hype to uh, to try and uh, develop a proof assistant for higher order logic uh, as some kind of long range effort. So, my, uh, my concern was to uh, use for the implementation of this proof platform a language that was as clean semantically as possible. Uh, So uh, uh, I I was a a great fan of Lisp, of course, but uh, Lisp uh, was error-prone and uh, and Lisp was such a a mixture of imperative and functional uh, that it was very hard to to do any kind of efficient uh, programming in Lisp. For instance, in Lisp you have the Fundamental operation, RepLAC like A and RepLAC like D, which are uh, destructive uh, operations on your data structure. So, so in this very quickly, if you do this kind of operations, you wind up with a big dish of spaghettis, and you don't know what is static data, you don't know what is dynamic data. So, the, the garbage collector ends up roaming the whole Uh, universe uh, uh, of your data. So it's better to have uh, a stronger static analysis. So I was uh, kind of uh, shopping for the best uh, programming language in 1980. Um, I went to see my uh, colleague, Georgette Levy, who was a specialist of Lambda Calculus. I asked him, uh, Georgette, what do you think is the best uh, language for programming this endeavor? And he said, oh, why don't you try ML? And I was very surprised, because I, I, I knew a little bit ML, uh, this uh, specialized uh, language for proofs inside the LCF system. But I did not think of it as uh, an implementation language. The LCF was implemented in Lisp. It was a big piece of Lisp. And part of it was an interpreter for this uh, language ML. So, using ML itself as uh, the main programming language of the uh, whole proof system uh, was uh, was quite puzzling for me. Uh, so, I went to see another colleague of mine, uh, Gilles Kahn, who was a very uh, respected senior scientist, and I uh, asked him, Gilles, what do you think? And Jill said nothing, but a few days later, he came back with a mic tape with LCF, and he he handled it to me. (laughs) At the time, we did not have networking facilities yet in Europe, so we were exchanging software by mic tapes. So for the next uh, month, I was just uh, pouring over the, the code of LCF and uh, marveling at this uh, marvelous uh, implementation of a very clean programming language that was ML. And uh, inside uh, LCF, uh, there was this uh, wonderful compiler of ML into Lisp, And then the Lisp interpreter would interpret uh, the the expression that the user uh, typed in the proof system. And then it dawned on me that uh, since there was this compiler compiling into Lisp, why couldn't I compile the Lisp produced Lisp expression and get some speed up? And uh, lo and behold, it was very easy. So, you know, it was just dumping the expression in a file, calling the this compiler on it, reloading it, and I gained a factor of 10. So, all of a mm. sudden, uh, this uh, very slow interpreted language uh, was usable as a programming language. So, this is how the, the whole thing started, <laughs> really. Mm. But uh, there was no 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 other uh, ML around. so so, so next next uh, we kind of isolated this uh, ML part out of LCF and we developed it and uh, I got the attention of uh, of other groups like uh, Larry Paulson uh, who was working at University of Cambridge on the second on the third iteration of LCF actually, there was a first. Uh, LCF developed in Stanford, then, uh, then Edinburgh LCF, then now is uh, Paulson-Sarpon-Cambridge LCF. And uh, and he switched in, in favor of our implementation of MLB, because it was faster. So for a while, I was developing uh, jointly with Larry Paulson. Then uh, uh, a professor from the university, a colleague of mine, Dick Musino, joined in. And uh, and he managed to incorporate uh, to uh, the early ML um, recursive data types and call by pattern matching, and this was inspired uh, by work from uh, from Rod Burstall. Uh, and uh, Dave McQueen, they had uh, they had experimented on uh, of some kind of language paper called NPL, and then they developed this programming language Hope, that was uh, basically recursive equations uh, on uh, uh, on data types, and uh, so th- th- this fit very well within uh, within ML, and so this was the start of Camel.
0: Okay, and so eventually Camel was, you know, uh, actually implemented in 1987. Um, what was was there like a, a spec for the language? No, um, earlier than
1: that, around 83, uh, some other people had uh, interest in, in ML uh, independently from LCF actually, and uh, the first. The first one to give an efficient implementation of ML was Luca Carnelli, who was at uh, Edinburgh University at the time, he was a student of Gordon Glocken. And, and he wrote uh, an implementation of ML from scratch using a new uh, model for closures uh, that was in Pascal and that was reasonably fast. So. Uh, so in the mid-'80s, we, we had CAMEL, uh, but we had also this uh, ML, in, in, in ML for Unix, uh, developed by Luca Cardelli. So uh, Robin Milner, who was at the time uh, working on process algebras, uh, took uh, an interest again in ML. And, uh, and he decided to set an international effort for standardizing the language. So that was the work on standard ML, to which we uh, participated in, in the years '83 uh, oh. to '87, let's say. And, uh, and this was a very active discussion. There was even um, a uh, little newsletter called Polymorphism. And so there were very, uh, uh, lots of researchers actively working at Edinburgh, at Cambridge, uh, at uh, INRIA, of course, and at Bell Labs, where uh, Dave McQueen uh, was working there. In 1987,
0: when there was a, uh, a, a full implementation with uh, automatic memory management and um, I mean, what, what was the, uh, what, what were the goals of, of that specific project and how did that, um, how did that project evolve, uh, f- uh, from that point on? No, the, the first
1: camel, uh, was just, uh... Oh, the, oh,
0: the first one was in 1983, you're saying? Yes. Okay. Wow. Okay. So I, I, I read some, uh, some misinformation at some point, um, uh, I will have to send out a uh, request for an amendment. Um, but so, so, okay, but let's let's talk about uh, that implementation, though. Um, why did you add automatic but, memory management? Why was that so important?
1: No, no, but uh, memory and management was on from the start. See, uh, the the whole camel effort from, oh, from 83 oh, I understand. to 87, I understand. this was sitting on Lisp. Right, okay. okay All this I was get sitting on
0: Lisp. So Lisp did the memory management. Lisp did the memory management. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. We, okay. But
1: we were unhappy about it because we, we did not know how to tell the garbage collector of Lisp that some uh, some areas were static, like like, um, uh, uh, like closures, for instance. Okay. Right. Right. So so, so for yeah, years, we developed uh, we we were piggy backing on uh, on Lisp. We had a very good uh, Lisp implementation at uh, Inria. This was part of a VLSI project, and uh, sure. Jérôme Chayou uh, joined with a very good implementation for Lulis.
0: You did mention these closures, um, and I read a quote from Guy Cousineau where he said the, uh, the CAM model potentially introduced memory leaks because useless values were kept in closures. Is that, is that the, the difficulty you're referring to?
1: Um, uh, now let's see. I, I did not talk about the cam yet. Uh, so how oh, the camel okay. uh, came in? Uh, see, I was saying that uh, Robin Milner was uh, interested in uh, in giving a standard for the language, and we participated to this research effort. But uh, we did not really uh, go into the standard uh, for uh, for several reasons that that I may explain if, if you wish. Uh, but um, at some point, uh, Robin was dissatisfied that we were uh, keeping our own development and not uh, 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 not in line with what was becoming the standard. Okay, one one of the reasons was the module system. The module system from Standard ML was too complex. And, uh, and consequently, it did not allow a separate compilation. And uh, for me, uh, a module system uh, must, first of all, uh, allow separate compilation. So this was a, 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 a stumbling block in which uh, we, we were reluctant to move to the setup. Another thing was that I was uh, not uh, willing uh, to uh, freeze this uh, programming language effort because I thought this was research. Many uh, solutions were not, uh, were kind of halfway, not uh, half baked, not finished. Uh, lots of uh, interesting developments could, could still be done. So I did not want to be bound. By any standard, so uh, at some point Robin uh, came to me and he said, "Gérard, uh, now we are. Uh, I'm serious about this uh, standardization effort. Uh, you, you keep uh, calling your language ML, and uh, could you could you call it something else?" <laughs> so that's how we came uh, we came with the, the camel. So um. this. Um, this came as a consequence of uh, research into. See, one um, the important underlying formalism of all these efforts is lambda calculus. And the uh, type lambda calculus uh, has uh, many disguises. So, one, one disguise is functional programming. One disguise is uh, proof theory natural deduction is just uh, lambda calculus and the third disguise is the uh, um, what is called the inner language of categorical of category theory so category theory it's a uh, modern algebra and uh, it developed uh, abstract uh, notions of what corresponds in the uh, programming uh, uh, world as uh, the product mm-hmm. bearing and as uh, the uh, functions. So uh, so there is a, a theory called Cartesian closed categories, which is some kind of uh, equational presentation of type lambda calculus. So we thought it would be fun to uh, base our uh, implementation of ML on a set of categorical combinators that would act as some kind of byte code for our ML implementation. So uh, around 83, 84, this is what what we did for uh, for CAMEL. It's to, to use this set of combinators. And this was the motivation for coding Uh, our implementation, the categorical uh, abstract machine language. Mm. Actually, uh, this was not very efficient. So there was this problem of uh, memory leak of closure that you you mentioned. So very quickly, uh, actually, uh, we got rid of these categorical combinators and we uh, compiled rather in the... uh, by it called architecture of LOLISP. there was a virtual machine called LLM3, and so we were compiling from ML into LLM3. Mm. Okay, so okay, so this is the state of uh, Camel up to to the end of the 80s, and and then we developed lots of uh, uh, lots of uh, libraries and. Uh, a lot of facilities for doing uh, metaprogramming with the clean micros and so on. But more and more, this uh, CAMEL implementation was uh, becoming some big monster, see, it was an enormous <laughs> uh, piece of lisp. And- yeah,
0: so w- what were people using it for? What kind of applications were they writing?
1: Well, the, the, the main application we were, we were aiming at was this proof system. So, so right. this uh, implementation of fire order logic that we call the calculus of constructions, which was already about uh, 1985. Okay, and so the whole implementation of this system, which is now called COC, so this, this has been a, it's a 30 years old uh, effort okay? that is continuing in ML.
0: Mm. Uh,
1: so at the time, this was our uh, main application. But we were also uh, using uh, uh, ML for teaching. And the uh, important point was when uh, Xavier Leroy uh, joined the team as a student, and uh, and he and, uh, and his colleague Damien Doligues, they really did a brand new implementation of Camel from scratch completely independently from Lisp and with a smart garbage collector that would uh, know about static area and uh, and would work with generations. Uh, So all of a sudden, uh, uh, we had a real programming language that was not uh, sitting on kind of enormous uh, uh, dish of uh, Lisp spaghetti, uh, but uh, fast. Uh, C implementation of the language. Mm. So so in that, of course, we use the old CAMEL for bootstrapping. But very quickly, the new implementation uh, was taken up. And and this is uh, then that we started doing other applications. And most notably for teaching. So so this was called the CAMEL-LIGHT camel light was, uh, was, was used uh, quite intensely in, in teaching in the, in the 80s.
0: Right. And so um, there was camel light and there was also camel special light. What, what did these, uh, how did these differ? And what, what kinds of extensions did these offer?
1: Well, you, you know, I mean, it's hard to explain these things because a uh, lot of them are, uh, are kind of... Uh, Inner jokes that are hard uh-huh. to understand. How did Camel Light come about? You know, Xavier Leroy was a you know, young uh, student, uh, full of energy, and he was very proud of, uh, of his new implementation. So he called it uh, he called it zinc uh, So I asked him, why, why are you calling the new implementation Zank? Uh, he said, "Oh, Zang is not camel."
0: <laughs> that's funny.
1: <laughs> so um, that's funny, but I, uh, but uh, personally, I thought this was a kind of uh, wrong idea because this would uh, 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 this was prone to 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 have some some kind of dissension in the team. Uh, so 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 I convinced him to 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 keep. Uh, to keep camel in a name that's how we came up with camel light okay so this was a joke with the cigarettes of course
0: right okay? that's and, what uh, I thought and
1: then we continued the joke with camel special light and uh, at the time we were even using the logo of uh, Philip Morris company so- <laughs> uh, that's
0: funny <laughs>
1: we, we are lucky that we didn't get into <laughs> into an illegal uh, dispute <laughs> we had uh, so,
0: so after Camel Light and Camel yeah. Special Light, eventually you got to Objective Camel, um, or well, Objective Camel was created. Um, what what new features did Objective Camel bring to the language?
1: Okay, so uh, one uh, short lived uh, name was Camel Special Light. Camel Special Light was very important for two reasons. One reason is that Xavier you know, uh, yeah, Leroy. Uh, invented uh, a new version of module, which uh, this time uh, allowed separate compilation. And what uh, was uh, quite convenient to have general uh, parametric modules called and so on. So, so this was uh, really an, uh, a, a very uh, important development. Modular programming, and the second one is that he was working on optimizing compiler. So, so, so we had this kind of special idea. It was a, a, an implementation in which you could uh, develop uh, interactively uh, code that would generate bytecode, but you could also use the optimizing compiler and have very good performance. And furthermore, uh, there was a facility for marshalling uh, values uh, between uh, uh, CAMEL and C. So we could uh, build efficient uh, libraries in C and link them to the main implementation. Okay, so this is really where I think we, 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 got, uh, we got a very uh, strong programming language. The um, object-oriented features which uh, finally gave their name to the language, uh, I'm not so sure that they are are so important, actually. Hmm. For instance, uh, personally, I've I've never been into the object-oriented programming, and I've never used uh, the orcable features about objects.
0: Why not? What do you have against objects?
1: <laughs> well, uh, first of all, objects—it's such, I mean, in programming, I mean, uh, you have you know fundamental data structures and fundamental uh, control structures, uh, but objects is uh, is something that that came with small talk and there was a lot of hype and then there were lots of uh, object-oriented programming languages and and none of them were compatib- compatible. I mean it was different uh, semantics of a parameter passing to these objects and and so on So having to the point that uh, that Java and JavaScript <laughs> are two uh, object-oriented programming languages that are uh, completely different as to, 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 to what is the meaning
0: of. Well, there there, but there are ways of of uh, introducing compatibility. I mean, you know, can have uh, can just pass JSON between them, or um, you know, you can invent these DSLs that serve as uh, as. Could communication uh, platforms between different languages. Uh, yeah, maybe yeah. not, maybe not very elegant, but it does the trick. But look, once you
1: have a, a programming language in which you have functional values and in which you have records, then just put some functional re- record as the fields of your uh, of your record, and then you have an object. <laughs> uh, Okay, so uh, so it's not a, it's not big deal. Uh, I did not see that as a, a programming language feature, but more as a, a programming style. Mm. And, uh, and then you have the this idea of uh, classes and uh, and subtyping, and this is where uh, these uh, programming languages differ. Uh, but, I mean, at the time, you know, there were so many people in software engineering pushing for object-oriented programming. Uh, and, uh, I, I, I was never convinced because it was claimed that these programming languages were better for modularity. And I don't believe so. See, when you have uh, a hierarchy of classes, then somehow this is a, a a big global object in your programming so in some sense, it it, it prevents modularity
0: <laughs> hmm suppose that's true um i don't know like so so you so you never liked object you just never worked with object oriented no. programming at all or you worked with no. it or yes yes oh.
1: Even in Objective Camel, I've never used, I mean, I'm I'm still Uh programming a lot with with OCaml, I've never used the object-oriented facilities. Mm.
0: (laughs) What are the other features about OCaml that that are appealing?
1: It's a very good implementation of Lambda Calculus, okay, so I'm a Lambda Calculus fan, so from the point of view of applicative programming, it's great. Uh, but it allows also uh, imperative features, it has imperative features, but imperative features they, they show like, uh, like assignable uh, variables or data structures. It shows in the type, so you can, uh, you, you can identify properly uh, the mm-hmm. parts of your programming while you're using uh, imperative features.
0: Mm, okay.
1: uh, then it's well interfaced with C and well interface with the Unix library. So you can program if you want at a low level and you can profit of the optimizing compiler. So Xavier has done a lot of work on, uh, on optimizing uh, compiler for uh, the various architectures. So, so this is a strong point. And so you can marshal back and forth so you can link with any other piece of uh, of software uh, through some some kind of, uh, of C linking.
0: Okay, so you know I'm kind of curious about just the challenges of building a functional programming language or or, or building out an implementation. Um, I mean, what what when you were managing the formal project, um, what were the the managerial challenges, and the technical challenges that the project presented?
1: The technical challenges, I mean, these are, uh, you know, the scientific challenges, yes. Uh, So you have some kind of... uh, uh, State of the art of the theory of how to best implement the calculus, but you have also state of the art of technology, how to take uh, advantage of the, uh, of the current processor and so on. So, these uh, technical challenges, they are, uh, I mean, they are sent by researchers, and the best researchers are the prices the, the people. So, the, the role of the manager. Uh, uh, is uh, more or less to guide, uh, first to attract the best students and then to guide them in the proper directions. Um, my, my way of uh, managing the various uh, software efforts I've started over the years where well, uh, sometimes a general model is that I start programming some prototype of some ideas. Uh, and it's only when uh, when I have ideas that are mature enough, uh, so that uh, I'm interested in transforming the prototype into some kind of uh, large-scale programming effort that I involve other people,
0: mm. students. Okay, colleagues. interesting process. Um, so I'd love to talk some about your current work. Your your current work is in the numerical. Humanities. Could you define what numerical humanities is?
1: Okay. Uh, well, uh, now you're uh, you going at the end of my career. So in between, uh, uh-huh. I did a, a, a lot of uh, research with the Cock team on, uh, on programming environments, and uh, and perhaps we should say a few words about that because in, sure. in a way this is uh, parallel to the uh, functional programming efforts. You know, the formal team was working on these both a- uh, aspects. So there, there, there were uh, researchers working on functional programming and the uh, KAML implementation, and there were others working on uh, type theory and higher order logic and uh, the, the proof system. Uh, but this was a very uh, interesting uh, period from a the theoretical point of view because we Uh, we understood uh, uh, the curry-over-isomorphism. The curry-over-isomorphism is this uh, similarity between functional programs and proofs. This uh, opens uh, all kinds of uh, perspectives. It basically tells you that uh, programs are like skeletons of proofs of their correctness. Okay, so, so, so this correspondence goes back and forth. That is, if you want to prove a program correct, then uh, one way is to intersperse assertions in the program uh, and then uh, try to develop the proof of correctness of uh, verifying the. the the assumptions and the invariance, using the program itself as a skeleton of its proof of correctness. Okay? And the other way is that if you develop some uh, general proof in mathematics, then the constructive part of the proof constitutes some kind of executable program. OK, so uh, so this shows most clearly with proofs done in natural deduction and programming done in uh, functional programming. So uh, at the end of the 80s, uh, the, the formal team split. And uh, one part of the team uh, called the crystal uh, they continued the work on ProCaml, uh, on and the other part of the team uh, worked on this uh, proof assistant cook. So This is what, uh, what I did until the, the end of the 90s. Then uh, around uh, 2000, and I had taken some uh, rest from research, I, was, uh, I had some uh, kind of more administrative uh, position at headquarters. And after three years of that, I came back to the lab, and uh, I, uh, I was kind of free to go in other directions since all my students had graduated, so I was uh, free to investigate other things. And I'd always been uh, interested in linguistics, and there was uh, another collection of functional programming and type system. Uh, into uh, semantics of uh, natural language, so uh, so I investigated this uh, at the beginning of uh, uh, the 21st century, and um, and then I I, I focused on uh, on one language of ancient India that is called Sanskrit which is uh, some, uh, which is a very peculiar language. It's not uh, really a natural language. It's a, it's a language that has been refined by an ancient grammarian 25 centuries ago. So the, the, the Indians had uh, really advanced views about uh, language. And they developed uh, grammatical tools. And they kind of froze some kind of semi-formal language called Sanskrit. And uh, so I got interested into uh, analyzing uh, this language. Then um, there was a a technical problem to overcome is that the the written form of the language uh, is actually uh, fully phonetic. There are phonetic codes that are followed in the writing of the language. So consequently, a written Sanskrit sentence Uh, is a stream of phonemes where the word boundaries have disappeared. It's not like in French or English where we have separate words that are separated with blanks. In Sanskrit, the words, they kind of merge together by phonetic processes. So that's the first difficulty to overcome is how to find the words in the phonetic mess. And uh, so I looked uh, this uh, technical problem, and for that I developed uh, uh, or- original views of using uh, finite automata, but uh, along applicative methods using functional programming, so using OCaml. So so this was the, the the start of this endeavor.
0: Hmm. So what are the uh, what are the parallels between Creating programming languages and th- your your current work with uh, your current work on Sanskrit.
1: No, I don't see much uh, oh. connection <laughs> here. Uh, so there is a, a, a lot of similarity between uh, designing uh, functional programming language and designing uh, proof system. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, the, the, the key to this analogy is the notion of types. Okay? Mm. So to come back to this analogy between the proofs and the programs, in this analogy, the types of the programming language, they are the propositions of the logic. Okay, so, so you can see mm-hmm. that the, the, the types of programming language as some kind of Logical language of the poor. Of the poor, uh, Mm. because you, for instance, you don't have uh, uh, quantifiers, or you have very special quantifiers. You have uh, quantifiers of uh, logical variables in ML. That is this polymorphism. And Mm. uh, we did not mention that explicitly, so I want to stress that this is a a very uh, important feature of ML. Is that it's strongly typed, but it's typed with a type system in which there is a notion of most general unifier. So there is, uh, if two uh, expressions can be made similar and recognized of the same type, then there is a most general type that accommodates them. So that means that uh, ML is type, but you don't. The programmer does not need. You put the, the types in his code, it's the compiler that generates the most general type that is consistent with the program. So That's a very uh, important uh, aspect. Sure. So once you, you see that the types are the propositions, uh, now you, you can try to go in the direction of having stronger programming language. That will uh, be uh, actually languages for proofs, okay? Mm, and, sure. uh, and now, if you uh, so, so so if you uh, want to have uh, types with uh, with quantification in the sense of uh, first-order logic. Then this leads to the problem of what's called dependent types. So, dependent types uh, permit you to uh, write like a function that takes two arguments. The first one is an integer, and the second one is an array, array of length, the integer that was the first parameter. See the, the type of the second argument depends on the value of the first one. Okay, so so this is an idea that has not percolated yet in a practical way in programming languages. But in a sense, it's a feature of the future. Because if we have that, then we don't have to do Uh, anything uh, special about uh, stuffing logic in your program in order to have proofs of correctness. It is the program itself that are the types that are strong enough to express all your invariant, uh, all your uh, logical uh, specifications. So that's very appealing. Uh, but there are many uh, technical issues here, because if you go into such uh, strong types, then there is no notion of most general type and so on, so you must uh. somehow give annotation notation from the compiler and this kind of thing, okay? But, sure. uh, but w- many people are actually seriously considering our proof system as some kind of prototype, of programming
0: language with dependent apps. Gerard, thanks for coming on to Software Engineering Daily. It's been a pleasure talking to you about Camel.